Morning, everybody. How's it going today? Good. Nice to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, great, great weather out there. Do you like that? You okay with that? Yeah, man, I love that. Uh, God shows his kindness to us in a lot of different ways, but that's one of them. And uh, so I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for you guys being here today. I think there are two kinds of people in the world. And of course, you know, there's all kinds of categories you can put two kinds of people into, but there are at least irreligious people and religious people, right? I mean, you're kind of one or the other of those kind of things. And you're probably maybe more of the religious types because you're here, which says something about you. Uh, so we're in a series, we're talking about uh, God's gospel through the book of Romans. And last week we talked about God's gift for the irreligious people among us. And there are a lot of people that grow up without God. They don't have a connection with him. Parents didn't help them get to church, or maybe they were in church and then they wandered away far from God, and then they maybe tried to come back or something. And God has a gift for those kinds of people. It's called His grace. In fact, we found out that Jesus Christ went to the cross to accept the wrath of God onto His life so that He could freely give God's grace to people who were far from God. It's a great great, amazing gift. So there's a gift for the irreligious people. Today we're going to talk about the idea that there's also a gift for the religious people. And we gather together kind of as religious people here together today uh, with this thing in mind. Uh, Every religious person or even religious people need the gospel. Because some people will go, well, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that's for the irreligious folks. But it's like, no, it's not. It's It's for both groups. It's for the religious as well as the irreligious. Because we all need God's good news. We all need God's hope. And so we're going through the book of Romans these days. The Apostle Paul wrote it 2,000 years ago about. And uh, I am surprised when I come to Scripture, still am after all these years of reading it, studying it, still surprised when I come to Scripture and I go, look how relevant this is for me today. It's like right on target for me today. And I so appreciate that. And uh, so one of the things I find out from Scripture, for those of us like me who are religious, I go, well... Uh, the, the gospel is for me. God's good poured out for me. I need that. I need it every day. I need it. I need, I've needed it all weekend. I've, it's kind of been an upside down weekend for me as a perfectionist. Nothing has gone right for me this week, this weekend. And uh, so get ready for the message because it might not go exactly according to plan either. I'm not really sure. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that because God gives grace. And that's, that's what the gospel is about. He pours out his good grace on us. And so we're going through the book of Romans and we're trying to figure out how it relates to us. And uh, today I want to start uh, with a story that we started last week. There's this great story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. So if you want to find this, you can. Find Luke chapter 15. And then we'll go over to Romans chapter 2 in a, in a few minutes. But in Luke 15, there's a story of these two sons. We saw the story of the first son last week. And then we cut the story off at the end of his journey. And we didn't get to the older son. So just to give you some background, in case you weren't with us last weekend... The younger son, this, this man had two sons. Let's just start that way. And the younger son says to his dad in, in words to this effect, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you would die. Just like hurry up and die because what I want is my inheritance. And in a Jewish culture, to say to a father, I want my inheritance now was the same as saying to him, I'd like to have you dead so I can get my money. And the dad, in this amazing act of generosity, said to not only his younger son, but to his older son, to both of his sons, he goes, oh, well, well then here, here's my whole estate. And he divided his wealth between them. What would you do if your son came to you at any age and said, I wish you were dead? You, 
You'd, like, you'd take out the will like right now, like write you out. And here's a, here's a father who says, I'm, I'm not only writing you in, I'm going to give it to you right now. Amazing generosity and kindness. And so the younger son gets his money, collects it all together, and then goes off into a distant place where he squanders his, his estate, everything that he got. He wastes it pretty fast. And as soon as he's wasted all of his funds, a famine shows up in that land. And so now he's got no money and no prospects. He goes and hires himself out to a pig farmer who sends him into his pig pen to take care of his pigs, this nice Jewish boy. Like nothing was going well for him at all. And then, it, and then the story makes this an amazing shift because it says, when he came to his senses, I believe that a life lived apart from God is a life lived without our senses. It's a life lived out of touch with our senses. And so when this boy came to his senses, he goes, wait, wait, wait. I'm sitting here in a pig pen and my father's slaves have it better than I have it. My father's hired hands have it better than I have it, I have it here. He says, I'm going to get up and go to my dad. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask him to forgive me and take me back, and maybe he'll hire me. That would be better than what I'm doing here. And so he gets up. He goes to his father. As he wobbles up the driveway, his father sees him coming from a long way off, and his father runs out to meet him, embraces him, and then throws the biggest party ever thrown in the history of the planet for his son or, or close to it. Right? Because the father said, this son of mine was dead and he's come back to life again. And his party says, resurrection demands a party. Can we all get on board with that? Yeah. Resurrection demands a party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's not bad for nine o'clock. That's good. So, because I, I think this, if you have ever had a loved one who's passed away, and I don't mean like died on the operating table and then got resuscitated, you know, I was, I was like dead for nine minutes. Nine minutes don't count. That's really good. That's beautiful and stuff. But I mean like dead and then buried. And then they came back to life. Would you have a party? Yeah. Biggest party of all time? Yeah. You, would invite, you would invite everybody. Everybody would show up. There'd be music and dancing and all this great stuff. That's what the father did for his younger son when he came back. He said, he's come back to life. We're having a party because resurrection demands a party. And that's where we left the story last week. But the man had two sons, not one. And both sons were lost, not just one. So here's the rest of the story, as Luke tells it in uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 25. By the way, you can look on version if you haven't checked that out. We've got some notes on version on your phone if you want to... Follow along that way. Luke 15, starting at verse 25, the the rest of the story goes like this. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, oh, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. And was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. And I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son... 
You've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. And that's where Jesus leaves the story. With the older son standing outside the door. Deciding whether he wanted to come in. This older son was a fine young man. From all accounts, he did everything he was supposed to do. He kept the rules. He never went far from his father's house. But he never got close to his father's heart. He he came home from the field one day. After work, and when he got close to the house, he could hear music and dancing. Biggest party in the world was going on, so he could hear music and dancing from outside. And I want to stop. I want to stop that older son because he's the one I identify with in the story. Some of you will identify much more with the younger son, but some of you, like me, will identify much more with the older son. And I just want to stop the older son before he gets to the servant, before he gets to the house, before his father comes out to plead with him. I just want to stop and say to the older son, find out what the music means. There's a reason there's a party at your house. Find out what the music means, what it really means. See, he heard the music and he put meaning on it from his own heart into the party. He heard the music and he became angry. He was angry at his brother. He wouldn't even call him, he wouldn't even even acknowledge the relationship that he had with this younger brother that took off. He says to the father, he goes, this son of yours wasted all this stuff. He didn't say my brother. He didn't say his name. He didn't say Freddie, you know, lost everything. He didn't, he did this son of yours. You've got, you ever do that in your family, you know, between <laughs> spouses like this, this son of yours, not my son. <laughs> Y'all, Yo, you know, that one, you know, that's what the, that's what the older son is doing with his brother. He's like this son of yours. He's angry at his brother and he's angry at his father. He says, you never threw a party for me. And in that, he reveals his heart. And what's devastating to me as one who identifies with the older son is the older son represents the religious people of the world. The older son represents the Pharisees in the crowd. The older son represents the perfectionists in the crowd. In a lot of ways in our culture today, the older son represents the evangelicals in the crowd. And in his conversation with his father, he reveals his heart. Listen to his heart as we walk through his story. You find out when you see his heart that his relationship with his father was merely external. It was just on the outside. He says to his dad, all these years I've been serving you. Literally the word is to slay for you. Dad, all these years I've slaved for you. And he's been counting the years and he's been counting the times he's gone out in the field. He's kept score. I've done all this. My brother didn't do that. You gave him a party and you never gave me anything. He kept score of all that. And all he had in terms of relationship with his father was an external relationship. I follow the rules. I do what you say. But my heart is not in it. 
that could be us in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. His obedience was merely boastful. He says, I've never neglected a command of yours. That's an amazing statement. You who have had a father. <laughs> most of you. Uh, how, many, how many commands was your father able, able to give you in your young life growing up? You know, like 0 to 18 or so. How, how many commands? More than two? Yeah, more than, you who are dads or you who are moms. How many commands are you able to give to your children in a day? Oh, man. And here's this guy and he says, Dad, I have never neglected one single command of yours. A hundred percent compliant. On the outside, he boasted, this is who I am. His memory was selective. He said, you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. So a few things on that. First of all, what friends? I mean, most people that live like this are not all that friendly and not all that much surrounded by friends. I'm not sure he had any friends to speak of. He said, you never gave me a young goat so that I could have a party with my friends. So I'm like, number two, he doesn't like parties anyway. Like, he follows the rules. He doesn't like the dancing. He, he comes from the field. He hears music. He's like, I don't know what's with the music. I'm like, find out what the music means. But he's not invested in the party at all. And then he says, Dad, you never gave me a young goat. That's really selective memory about his father. Because remember when the younger son said to his dad, Dad, I'd like to have my share of the estate, please. What did the father do? He said, he said, here, younger son, you go ahead. I'll, I'll give you your portion. I'll save the rest for my old, other son for later on. I'll give it to him later on. Is that what he did? No. He di right now, he divided his wealth between them. Now, in the Jewish custom, the older son in any family was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. Because the older son was going to take care of the father and the mother when they got older and those kinds of things. So he was going to get a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had 10 sons... You would, uh, give, you would divide your estate into 11 shares, and the older son would get two of those. But if you only had two sons, you'd divide your wealth into three shares. The younger son would get one share. The older son would get two shares. The older son already got two-thirds of the estate from the generous hand of his father. And yet the older son says to his dad, You never even gave me a young goat so I could have a party with my buddies. We forget so easily the good things God has done for us. Those who are filled with faith easily forget the good things that God has done for us. The people in the world without faith so easily forget what God has done for us. You never did this. You never gave that. He says, I gave you everything I have. The father later on says, all that is mine is yours. That was a true statement. His relationship was external. His obedience was boastful. His memory was selective and his heart was judgmental. He said, this son of yours devoured your wealth with prostitutes. 
pretty judgmental because the younger son took everything he got and went on to a, a journey into a distant country. They didn't have like FaceTime back in the day. It's not like they were keeping in touch with one another. He just took off and then he wasted his money. How does he know he wasted it with prostitutes? He judged him on that. He said, that's, I'm sure, I'm sure I know my brother I'm, or I know his son. I'm sure that's what happened. He judged him. And then he judged the father. When this son of yours who wasted everything you gave him, when he came back, you killed the fattened calf for him and that was wrong. And now he judges the father. And remember in this story, the father represents God. How quick we are sometimes not just to judge one another, which we do, but to judge God. We become angry at God because we think he's not doing it right. And I want to say to the older son, find out what the music means. And I want to say to me, find out what the music means. And the story wants to say to you, find out what the music means. Now, the older son misreads his father badly. His father was extremely kind, generous, loving, through parties for anybody, through parties for a wayward son, through parties for a grumpy stay-at-home son, parties for both if they wanted them. The older son knew that about his dad, and he hated that about his dad. He didn't want his father to be generous to others. And he didn't accept the fact that his father was generous to him. Remember last week in Romans chapter 1, we talked about people who suppress the truth about God. One of the disasters in our culture in this generation, as well as all generations, is that People far from God suppress truth about God. Somehow to live in this world without God, you've got to suppress truth about him because everything he's made points to him. And so people suppress the truth about God. Now here's this older son who represents the religious among us and he suppresses the truth about God. He goes, you, you never gave me a young goat. His son goes on this tirade against his father and against his brother, and the father pleads with him. The father comes out, which in that culture would have been humiliating to come out of a party to address an aggrieved son, a belligerent son. But he comes out of the party, and he pleads with his son to enter the party. Like God pleads with us, enter the party. Resurrection calls for a party. We are all about resurrection, right? I mean, the whole thing about following Jesus is because of a resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, stop following him because it's really pointless. But if he rose from the grave, it calls for a party. It calls for a life of parties. It calls for that. And for some of us, that's so hard because we're so buttoned down and we don't like to dance and we you know, not sure we like the music and we don't know what the music means. Find out what the music means. Come to the party. 
That's the story of the two sons. Now, those sons are represented again in Romans chapter 1 and 2. We're, we're walking our way through the book of Romans these days. And Romans chapter 1 is a story, another way of telling the story of the younger son. In Romans chapter 2, which I want to look at in the next couple of minutes, Romans chapter 2 is a, another way of looking at the story of the older son. So if you have your Bibles out still, turn over to Romans chapter 2. And I want you to see the gift that God gives to the religious people in this context. Now, when Paul writes to them, he's writing to a church in Rome, and the church of Rome was made up of two, also two kinds of people, two kinds of Christ followers. Some were Gentile Christ followers, non-Jewish, and some were Jewish Christ followers. And so in chapter 2, he's really talking to the Jewish Christ followers because he talked to the Gentile ones back in chapter 1. So chapter 2, talking to the Jewish people who were living out their Christian faith, but with their Jewish heritage built into that, with the law and circumcision and all that went with their Jewish heritage. And as Paul writes this letter to him, I see the older son over and over and over because he writes to to this group of people about their religion that is, number one, judgmental. This is the part, when I get to chapter 2, verse 1, this is the part that makes me stop and, and take a gasp of air because he's talking to me he says in chapter 2 verse 1 you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth so when you a mere human being pass judgment on them and yet do the same things do you think you will escape God's judgment When I read that passage, I've been reading this for months now, getting ready for the series. I come to that passage, and the first thing it says, you know, you you pass judgment on others. And I go, oh, how'd you know that about me? Oh, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on this. If you, if you've been around very long, you know, I'm working on my perfectionism issues. And perfectionism leads to judgmentalism. And I spent 55, 56 years practicing like i'm good at it judging do you know that do you know you know anybody like you don't have to raise your hand because i know no i'm just kidding (laughs) see 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 how easy that was This passage calls me up short because I judge. And it calls me up short because he he goes, you who judge practice the same things. And I'm like, I do not. (laughs) Nuh-uh. God goes, nuh The religion of the older son, the religion of these Jewish Christians in in the church at Rome, it was a judgmental faith. How much is that like us? How much does God have to stop us and go, hey, find out what the music means? Because part of the music means there's no more calling to be judgmental. You'll see why in a moment. The faith of these Jewish Christians was also selective, like the memory of the older son was selective. Verse 8 says, 
But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. He's talking to Jewish Christians. He's talking to the religious Christians. And he says they're rejecting the truth. Like, you never gave me a young goat. Or God, you never did this, or you never did that. Or... And you're rejecting the truth about God. Going through the motions leads to wrath. Going through the motions is not real faith. It rejects the truth. Thirdly, their faith was boastful, which is what judgmental people do. They boast about their faith, not maybe loudly in our culture, because boasting about your faith is not all that well accepted among us, but we strut like we're going to boast about, this is my faith, and this is what I have, and this is who I am. Here's how the Jewish Christians did it in, Rome, in, the, in the church at Rome. Verse 17, now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children... Because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He said to them, you're, you're strutting around like, I got all this stuff. I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jewish Christian. I got all this stuff. I got it together like nobody else. Or put that in more contemporary terms put it in terms that would relate to us just take the word jew out and put the word christian in and read it again now if you call yourself a christian if you rely on the bible and boast in god if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the book if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind a light for those who are in the dark an instructor of the foolish a teacher of little children because you have in the scriptures the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? A person who stands in front and teaches a group of people in a thing called church better take that passage seriously. Their faith was external, like the older son. Verse 28 says it this way, A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Circumcision is an odd metaphor for faith. So the deal with the Jews is they had a sign of their covenant. God had made a covenant with them. 
Uh, just as God has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ, God had made a covenant with them through Moses and through the law. And so the law gave a sign. So it's like, how do you know if someone's a Jew? How do you know if someone is a practitioner of the, of the Jewish faith? Well, for a male, it was this. They were circumcised. That was the sign of their covenant. But it's so interesting to boast in being a Jew and the sign of your covenant is circumcision. You can't really particularly parade around your religiosity. That's all I need to say. Which says outward compliance is not the same as inward devotion. We have a lot of things that we do as followers of Christ because we want to do what God says. We want to follow his commands. We want to keep all of his commandments diligently. That's what we want. Of course, that's what we want. But sometimes that melts down for us in just this external practice of religion where we, we show up to church, we go to our Bible study, you know, we, we do the things that we're supposed to do. But sometimes it just becomes outward stuff. And when Paul was writing to these Christians there in Rome, these Jewish Christ followers. He said this in verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You are storing up wrath for yourself. I'm like, you know what? That's a bank account I don't want to make a deposit in. Here's the, here's the savings account of wrath. It's all yours, and you've been making deposits. Why? Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart. And as I tell you about stubbornness and unrepentance, I got to look at my own heart. I got to speak it to my own heart and go, what about, Brad, your stubbornness and unrepentant heart? storing up wrath for us. And here's the outcome of living this style of life. Verse 24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Jesus told us that the world would hate us because it hated him. It's never surprising that People in the world hate people that follow Jesus. But I'm disappointed when I watch in our culture and in our community when people hate Christians, not because we love Jesus and because we follow Jesus' command of loving God and loving our neighbor and loving our enemy. If we did all those things and then our neighbors hated us anyway, it's like, well, that's okay because they hated Jesus. But if they hate us, because of our stubbornness and our unrepentant heart and our boastful external religion, they're not hating us for the reasons that Jesus said they would. And the name of God ends up being blasphemed among the nation because of us. So find out what the music means. When the younger son came home, the father threw a party because there was a resurrection involved. Life came back from the dead, and he threw a party filled with music and dancing. 
And Romans 2 tells you what the music means, if you'll hear it. Verse 3, he said, we saw this already, he said, when, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape the, God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That's the most beautiful verse in the chapter. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I look at my life and I realize how much like, I, like the older son I am. And I realize that the story of the gospel is the story of the fact that God redeems us no matter how good we think we are. See, Romans 1 was about the idea that God redeems us no matter how bad we think we are. But Romans 2 says God redeems us no matter how good we think we are. And it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his overwhelming generosity that leads us to repentance. It is his amazing grace that leads us to repentance. It's all his good. It's all his goodness that leads us to repentance. And I look at my life and I go, it's his kindness that I need to respond to again today. And for those of you who are dialed in like the older son, or if you're dialed in like the younger son, either way, it's his kindness that leads you to repentance to turn around, to change your path, to come back toward him. Jesus, thank you for your kindness. It is overwhelming to know how kind you are toward us. When we were far from you, when we'd taken a bad course out of town, or when we stayed close by but left our heart outside the door, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So Jesus, thank you for that. Would you hear our prayer as we approach you today, as we look at our life over the last day or the last week or the last, however long the journey has been, would you hear our prayer today as we turn back to you because of your kindness toward us? Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.